planned to be back here with you today, but a blessing to be with you here uh, back in about the middle, towards the end of March, we began receiving uh, strong recommendations from the State Department to, to return and warnings that they were giving to return. At that point, we really hadn't considered returning. Uh, we had been just catching up on all the events taking place in the world with the, the virus and so forth going on. We had a nationwide missions conference scheduled for Ukraine, and we had I had different speakers coming. I had one coming from uh, a national from uh, Siberia who worked with the Eskimos was coming to share about missions, and another one from uh, Tajikistan was coming to share about his Muslim country and the need there, a national. had another national from Southeast Asia who was coming to Ukraine to share about the need there. And we were going to just looking forward to having a session with our SBI advance for our pastors, and at the end of that, we were inviting folks to come from all over Ukraine to a national conference on missions, really trying to encourage missions within the churches there. And uh, I received a note from one of the speakers, and he said, listen, are you still going to be able to have that conference? And I said, well, sure. I mean, we've, we've bought tickets. Everything's a go, man. We don't have anything happening here. I mean, we're, we're planning on it. And then not too long after that, about a week or so after that, things just started happening very rapidly. And uh, we had to cancel. They had to shut the whole thing down, cancel. Then we get these notices from the State Department warning us that, look, we're helping to arrange these flights. If you don't take one of these flights, we can't make any promises that we're going to be able to get you out. And, again, we hadn't considered leaving. We were still planning on leaving. We looked at some flights that they had but thought, well, this none of these flights really make any sense. They would leave us in Germany. One would leave us in England. I said, well, why would we want to be left there? Let's... We're just going to plan on staying. Lord, if you want us to go back, uh, then we need you to open a door uh, for a flight to take us back. Well, also during that same week, the place where we were doing our church plant was meeting. Uh, at the beginning of the week, they told us, okay, you can still meet, but you're going to be limited in how many can meet. I said, okay. I went back to get flir- uh, further clarification on that on Wednesday of that very same week. And they said, look, you cannot meet here at all. You, we, we're not allowed to, to lease you this hall in any way. It's, it's just we can't do it. We don't know how much longer it's going to be, but for right now we cannot do this. So that uh, Saturday morning of that very week got another email from the embassy, State Department, and they were saying, look, we've organized another flight. It's going to go direct from Kiev to America. And again, we, we strongly encourage you to take this. And so... We prayed, and since we could not meet there and have any ministry there, we thought, well, at least we could come home, minister to family down in the Kansas City area, help my mom and dad around there and other family members and do what we can here while we wait for things to reopen. And, uh, and that's where we are right now. We were planning to head back, in fact, just here in a couple of weeks to Ukraine, but it looks like now that is going to be delayed a little bit more. They've had an uptick in cases. So pray for us. We also are... Uh, kind of feeling we're out in this no man's land right now, just kind of wandering in the wilderness and uh, waiting for God to give us just direct uh, steps to take here. But looking forward to getting back. And just wanted to give you a short update on some of the things that God has been doing. There were some wonderful things that are taking place both in Ukraine and in Southeast Asia. And believe it or not, I don't even know if I've shared this with you, Pastor, but uh, last summer, and we were hoping to go possibly again this summer, 
in Central Asia to the country of Tajikistan, which is a Muslim country. And uh, we're just rejoicing in, in seeing the gospel. I know sometimes here in America it can be kind of disappointing and people don't see as in, seem as interested in the gospel and it seems very difficult to get our neighbors to come to church and to have others share or listen or be interested in the Word of God in any way. But in these other countries, there are great things that are happening for the glory of Christ. Uh, in this one country where we work in Southeast Asia, which is predominantly a Buddhist and animist country, uh, they're just people are, though the government is very controlling, though it's one of the top 20 most persecuted nations in the world for Christians, yet the gospel's going forward and people are getting saved. They can't stop the gospel. And I get these reports just coming back of, of, well, this guy came and he was working in this factory and somebody that comes to our house church invited them to come and there was a group that came and there were two or three that got saved in the uh, right after the service and then the other ones are listening and we're witnessing to them and still talking to them and uh, we get these reports and it's just exciting to see the gospel go out. This past summer when we were in Tajikistan and we took some of our students from SBI and one of the reasons we're doing that to Central Asia is really trying to encourage Ukrainian churches to especially consider Central Asia. Central Asia is one of the most neediest places in the world. All right, now think about this. Tajikistan is somewhere around 97% unreached with the gospel. Can you imagine? 97% unreached. That means 97% of their population has absolutely no opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. Only 3%, doesn't mean 3% have heard the gospel, it means 3% have the potential to hear the gospel, but 97% don't. Isn't that amazing? So 97% of the people that are souls that are born in Tajikistan go from cradle to grave and they never once hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Tajikistan, as well as many of the countries of Central Asia, had been part of the former Soviet Union. And so there are there are some similarities they have from that time, also language with the Russian language from that time that carries over. Ukrainians, Americans, we go to Central Asia, a lot of red flags when you show up. Why are you here? You want to promote your Christianity or you have other reasons that you're here. But a Ukrainian can go and not nearly the red flags. They already have a language that they can speak to them in, in the Russian language, and, and somewhat of a background with them. And we have... Uh, two or three students right now that are praying about the possibility of going to Tajikistan as missionaries. So pray with us about that. That would be very exciting. And uh, I have a story I think later I will share with you about our time there. But God's blessing in in Ukraine, the ministry of SBI, both our general sessions and our, our advance for our pastors. God has been blessing those. The church plant ministry, we just started in September in the in the city of Kiev. Uh, was up and running. It's kind of got hit in the stomach and the wind knocked out of it a little bit with the meeting shut down. But I got pictures today. They're, they're beginning to meet again there. Uh, limited. It's very limited how they can meet. But uh, I have a co-worker there who's beginning to meet with them and we're looking forward to getting back to that. And the ministries that we have in Southeast Asia. Uh, just exciting to see nationals doing the work of the ministry. Pray with us. We're working on a project right now in that country to get the gospel of John and the book of Romans translated into this language and then printed up so that we can begin to 
give these to pastors that come to our sessions. We're going to give them these John Romans that will have a gospel uh, with pictures to try to share the gospel with pictures. You've got to remember, in this country we're working, there are many different languages. Uh, there's one main language, but each of these little tribal groups can have their own language. So we're trying to get John and Romans out to them and uh, out to the people so they can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We appreciate so much your work with us uh, and your partnership with us for the gospel. Uh, We had a pastor that you all helped us with in uh, Lithuania that we helped to purchase a building for. And they now have that building. They're using that building for the glory of Christ. In this city where they're located, uh, they are the only gospel-preaching church in that entire region. This is it. And uh, we praise God for your help in that. And uh, I tell you, it's just an exciting time to be a believer. An exciting time to see what God is doing in these days in which we're living. God is not finished. There are still people to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ before He comes. Now, when's He coming? I don't know. I think that's drawing nigh, right? It's nigher than it was for sure, right? And, uh, And He is still working and there are still souls to be reached. And we do covet your prayers for us for the ministries that God has called us to, and let us continue just laboring together for the glory of His name. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. And I want to share with you just a little bit this morning, uh, just since we've returned from Ukraine back to America, we've, uh, boy, how many things have changed since late March when we got back? I mean, we came back, and uh, got back here, and then it just seemed like almost every week something new was taking place here in America and something new to get caught up on and, and all the changes that are taking place. And it just seems like there's so much chaos, uh, not only because of the virus, but the racial tensions and financial tensions and all that's taking place. And it's be very easy for us to get our eyes off the ultimate goal of what we've been called to do as a church. I can remember playing a basketball and uh, you know, I can remember games where you go out and it just seems like everything is going wrong. I mean, you know, the, the referee has made some bad calls. The, the shots just aren't falling. Uh, the other team, I mean, the guy who never shoots a three-pointer is throwing one up and it's banking in. And I mean, it seems like everything is going wrong. And all of a sudden, by the time that first quarter or first part of the first half is over, you're down by 15 or 20 points. And you're on the road and you're thinking, well, man, the game's already over before it hardly got started. And you're coming over to the bench and players are barking at each other, you know, and the the coach is trying to get everybody focused back again. Look, do it one basket at a time, right? Just let's set a goal right now that by halftime to only be down by 10 points, let's get ourselves back in the game. Don't worry about the big picture. Just stay focused on what your role is. Everybody do their part and we're going to get back in this game. And you know what you would find out many a time? If you just focused in on what you were supposed to do, you'd start working back. And before you knew it, you were back in the game and it was a ball game again in the second half. We can win this thing. And I feel like right now so much in our church, we've been hit in so many different ways. We can't meet. We we can't do certain things that we're so used to doing. We don't have maybe even some of the freedoms that we, we used to have. It just feels like there's confusion and maybe we're we've lost our focus. Let's come back in and let's focus. Listen, we're in the game. I've read the end of the book. Folks, we're going to win. Amen. (laughs) I like the old simple song. I'm on the winning side, right? I'm on the winning side because I'm with Christ. 
He has triumphed already. Victory over the grave, victory over death, victory over Satan, victory over this world. I already have the victory. I just haven't realized it yet in actuality. But I have the victory in Jesus Christ. I'm on the winning side. So let us focus now on our roles, on what God has called us to do. And I believe here in Philippians, in chapter 1, in verse 27, there are three specific things here that Paul is sharing with the church in Philippi that we can work on, that we can focus on. And I think these three keys are absolute keys. And if we will focus on these three things, God will bless and we will see victories for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we read Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. You follow with me, and then we'll ask God for His blessing, all right? He writes, Paul writes, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercies and your grace in our lives. Thank you that you are such a wonderful, magnificent God. There is no one like you. And Lord, we just want you to be high and lifted up both in our hearts and our lives and our church. Lord, we want you to be high and lifted up in this world that they may see your glory, that they may know your wonder, that they may know your love that was proved at Calvary by sending your son to die and purchase their redemption. Lord, bless this time together. Encourage our hearts. Stir us for your glory, we pray. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray. Amen. All right, be seated, please. As we look in our verse and we see this first part of the verse, we see in verse 27 when he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word as we're, as we're looking there for uh, becometh is a word which carries this thought, let your conversation be. It's actually one word in the Greek. It literally means to behave as citizens. Behave in a way that shows you're a citizen. A citizen of where? He's going to tell him here a little bit later in chapter 3 that they're citizens of where? Of heaven. So behave as citizens. Act and live as children of God. We see as we look in that little part there where he says, as it becometh the gospel. That word becometh is have the weight of, or another thought is to of like value, worth as much. So live your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Uh, you go back over to the book of Ephesians. Paul is telling them, to live worthy of the vocation of which they were called. Live worthy as a child of light. You're a child of light. Now, live worthy of that. Allow the world to see the light of Christ in you. You see, the gospel not only sanctified us in position, but it sanctifies us in our practice. God is calling us to live a life of what? Of holiness. The people of God are to be different from the people of this world. The children of light are to be different than the children of darkness. But it has amazed me, especially over these last 20, 25 years in the church here in America, how much we have welcomed the ways of darkness into the church, thinking that if we practice these ways of darkness, somehow it's going to bring the children of darkness to light. And you're thinking it doesn't work that way. 
You, you can't reach the world with worldly means. You can't attract them through their flesh to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work that way. For example, when you look in First Peter, if a saved woman has a lost husband, how was she to reach her husband? Through the fleshly means? Through how she looked, through her beauty, through the, the makeup she would wear and so forth? Was that how she was to draw her husband to Christ? Or was it through a meek and lowly heart, through holiness? That is how she would reach her husband with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what seems to be missing this theme, this message of holiness and the believer living separated and different from the world. You're there in Philippians 1. Look down in chapter 2. Go down with me to verse number 15. Look what uh, Paul writes to them there. There He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you what? Shine as lights in the world. God wants us to shine as lights in this dark world. And when the church is no longer shining as a burning light in this perverse and crooked world in which we live, then the world cannot see truth. They cannot see the reality of their truth. They cannot see the reality of God. God is calling us to holiness. Now, what is the standard of holiness as we read through the scriptures. Well, we read through the scriptures, we find that God is the standard of holiness. He says, be ye holy as what? As I am holy. You see, it's so easy for us as believers to say, well, if I just be a little holy than my spouse, holier, or be a little holier than the other person in my church, or if our church is just a little holier, at least we're not like this church over here, we're holier than them. We're, we're, we've got our eyes on human goals here. No human is holy, right? As we should be. But there's a God who is holy. In fact, what would we say is the greatest attribute of God? I mean, we could talk about that. We could say, well, it's His love. We could say maybe it's His faithfulness. Many would say it's His holiness. The angels there in the very throne room of God, are they saying love, 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 God is love? He is. But is that what they're saying? When we're welcomed into the throne room there in Isaiah or even in the book of Revelation and we're able to hear how these angelic beings are praising Him, are they praising Him for His faithfulness? Are they praising Him for His immutability? Again, these are all wonderful attributes of God. Are they praising Him for His omnipotence? His omniscience? What are they praising Him for? His holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? The whole earth is filled with His what? With His glory. He's a holy God. And He is calling us to be a holy people, a separated people, separated unto Him, children of light in a dark and a perverse world. And when we cease to be light... And the world cannot see the truth and reality of Christ. Listen, our culture in America has drastically changed, especially in these last 20, 25, 30 years, right? I mean, you you can remember, uh, for example, the Dick Van Dyke show. I remember Dick Van Dyke, all right, I'm giving up my age here, right? Leave it to Beaver, all those shows. Remember Dick Van Dyke when him and uh, his wife there, I forget her name, but Mary Tyler Moore played the part 
They didn't even sleep in the same bed as husband and wife. Remember, they had separate beds that they slept in. Secular television wouldn't even show a man and a woman sleeping together even though they were husband and wife. What year was that made? In the early 60s? Boy, today you can turn on even during, quote, the family time of secular television and you have to fear what you're going to see, right? The different messages that are being brought forth. What has happened? Our culture, which our culture here in America, a very Judeo-Christian type of of, of uh, culture that we had for a secular culture, it was impacted by the church. It was impacted by the message of the Bible. But today, where we are, our culture has no fear of Christianity. No fear of, of, of Christians or that Christians will somehow stop watching our programs or stop buying our products because we have kind of left behind that old-fashioned, uh, no-good-anymore Judeo-Christian ethics and values. And as the world has changed and become more and more secular, more and more perverse in America, the sad truth is the church has changed. Now, maybe the church is not all the way over here where the world is, but, you know, it used to be the church was way over here. Maybe the secular world was here, and now it's kind of gone like this. The secular world's gotten worse and worse, but the church has become more and more secular. Do you know the one hindrance that I had, probably the greatest hindrance that I had when I pastored down the Kansas City area here uh, and, and was witnessing and sharing Christ with people, the hindrance to the gospel, the greatest hindrance, what it was, it was the hypocrisy and carnality of those that called themselves Christians. Well, I work with this person. He says he's a Christian. And I'm just telling you, if that's what Christianity is, he lies like I lie. He tells the jokes that I tell. He speaks like I speak. He steals like I steal. I see no difference in his life. Folks, we've been called to be salt and light. And judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. I mean, we want to say it's the politician's fault. We want to say it's the government's fault. We have excuses for whose fault. You know whose fault we could really point the finger at? The church. Because we have ceased to be salt and light. God is calling us to holiness. Now listen, as the days are getting darker, and folks, again, I don't know when the Lord's coming back. I believe it's getting closer and closer, right? But things are getting worse and worse. Our world is, is just getting more and more anti-God. If you're going to stand for truth, stand for holiness, your light is going to shine brighter as it gets darker out there. And some are going to persecute that light, and they're going to try to put out that light. You know what? Paul is going to warn them here in Philippians, don't worry about that. You've been called to this life of suffering for Christ. So don't worry about that. You just do what you're called to do. Be a burning, shining light. And as you are that burning, shining light, though some are going to persecute you, there are going to be some that are going to see the reality and truth of your faith in Jesus Christ. And they are going to be drawn to your Savior because they're going to see His attribute of holiness in you. I want to encourage you in these last days in which we are living, focus upon your sanctification. Are you growing in holiness? I mean, are you growing in your understanding of who God is and of His attributes and of His glories? And are you seeing changes in your life? Listen, none of us have reached this point where we can say, I've arrived, right? 
I'm here. I'm super Christian. There's nothing else for me to do. While we're in this body of flesh, we're all to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Growing in holiness. This is the will of God for you. What's the will of God for me, Paul? Your sanctification. That you are growing in holiness. Make a mark. Focus on your holiness. Secondly, look in verse 27. He says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind. Let's just stop there for a second. And let's note the second thought right here. And these are all three are kind of intertwined together. But the second one that we see right here is standing together in the gospel. Unity in the church. A unity of, of purpose. A unity of, of, uh, of, of message that we have. A unity within the body. What is it that Satan tries to do to conquer? He divides and what? Conquers. We look in 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth. What kind of church would we say the church in Corinth was? It was a carnal church, right? What's one of the things we note about the church in Corinth? All the divisions and cliques that were in the church. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos, right? Well, I'm of of Christ. I'm the most holiest of all. We're of Christ. We're not like you guys over here. There were all kinds of divisions in the church. There were even believers taking believers to court. But yet Paul says... They were saints in Corinth. You are called saints. You are children of God. This is who you used to be, but this is now who you are in Jesus Christ. You've been washed by His blood. You've been sanctified by His Spirit. But yet all the divisions. I was sharing with Pastor last night. You know, we did deputation back in the 90s when we went to the country of Lithuania to serve uh, for about 10 years and then came back and did the, the ministry down in Kansas City for about seven, eight years. And then we went back and did uh, deputation again to go back to the ministry in Ukraine and Southeast Asia that God has given to us. And one of the things I noted as we traveled, that between doing it in the 90s deputation and doing it again in 2015 and 16, right in there, that I noted more divisions in our churches than ever before. The body of Christ, we're not, we're not unified. Churches are not unified. There's, there's fightings, there's squabblings. Folks, where, where does all this come from? Most of it's coming from the flesh. It's not really usually doctrinal reasons that people are separating within our certain circles. Most of it is just very petty things that have happened. We write, read here in Philippians as we would come a little bit later into chapter 4 where there were two that were even fighting in the church. So they were having disputes in Philippi. There were fightings that were taking place and Paul is calling them together to unity. We come to chapter 2 and Paul says, If there be any consolation, verse 1, in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also to the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He is encouraging them towards unity. Listen. In these last days in which we're living, 
And again, I don't know if these last days are going to be one year, one week, 10 years. I don't know, 20 years. I don't know how long it is. But as we get closer to that time, I believe we see the power and influence of Satan will grow upon the earth, right? And as it grows, I believe that churches that are going to take a stand for truth, try to live, aspire to live lives of holiness before a lost and dark world, the persecution is going to increase. And as it increases, as these things are happening, Satan is going to try to destroy these churches from within. Do you realize that Satan is not the church's greatest enemy? He has already again been defeated. I mean, he is an enemy. But he can have no power over us, no power to defeat us. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. Because we won't submit ourselves to God's word and humble ourselves to do what he's called us to do, to esteem others better than ourselves. What would happen if we would place the needs and concerns and cares of others above our own? What would happen if we saw ourselves, I am your servant for Christ's sake. I'm here to wash your feet. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Do you know what I found when I pastored down in the Kansas City area? So many people would come to church on Sunday because of something they wanted to get for themselves. How can you serve me today? What can I get from this message? How can you serve my my children or our youth or whatever? How can we be served? So they were coming to take. Very few came on Sunday to give. How can I serve this person? How can I encourage them in their walk? How can I pray for you? God is calling us to unity. He's given us the gift of this grace. And He wants us to to grow in the unity of the faith. Listen, we we should know what the message of God and His Word and the message of the Gospel is. There is confusion today, believe it or not, in the church. And I'm speaking about the church in general, uh, within, quote-unquote, fundamental evangelical circles, whatever your definition of that would be. But there's confusion on what the gospel is. You you would think this is pretty simple, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, His, His coming, His death, His burial, His resurrection... That all who will come to Him can receive the gift of salvation that His blood paid to redeem us from the curse of sin, the judgment of our sin. But yet we have those today that within these evangelical fundamental circles that say the gospel is a social gospel as well. It's not just that. It's also this kind of social justice, things that we see in our culture taking place. And we're thinking... what's the chapter and verse where you find this in the Scripture? I mean, I can't find when Paul was in Ephesus that he went door to door and house to house teaching social justice. He taught both repentance towards God and what? And faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ commissions His church to go into all the world, it was to teach what? That repentance was to be teached in all the world for the forgiveness of sin, trust and faith in Jesus Christ. 
We need to be unified in growing in our understanding of God's Word, unified in what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, unified in purpose to love and forgive one another, to forbear with one another, to look past the faults of one another. I I hate to break this to you, but there's nobody who's a perfect person in this church. We all have these bodies of flesh. And until we get our glorified bodies, we are going to succumb to our flesh. We're going to fall in our flesh. If we say we have no sin, there's what? There's no truth in us. We're all struggling and wrestling and battling with our flesh. But we can, by His grace, as we submit ourselves and humble ourselves before one another, we can have peace in the body of Christ. Satan is going to work to divide. And so many believers are so easily deceived. I heard just this past week of a church where people have left the church and you're just wondering. And then I I hear, well, what churches did they go to? And then I hear the churches that they're going to now and I'm thinking, well, what are they thinking? So easily deceived. Let us be purposed that our focus is going to be on Christ and we're going to love one another. And we're not going to allow Satan to divide us. We're not going to allow him to cause dissension within us. That when dissension rises up, I'm not going to go talk to someone else about the dissension I'm having with another brother or if it be with the pastor. I'm going to go talk to pastor himself. Or I'm going to go to that person personally. And in love, I'm going to confront them about what I deem this conflict has come up. And I want to talk to them and I want to pursue peace with them. Folks, that's what a mature adult church does. We're going to have to be unified for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're sanctified for the sake of the gospel. We're unified for the sake of the gospel in oneness. And then lastly, we're striving for the sake of the gospel. Look in the last part of verse number 27, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the what? For the faith of the gospel. So this gospel that we're striving for, and that word striving is speaking, actually actually it's an athletic term of, of a team of athletes working together, everyone fulfilling their roles, laboring, toiling for victory. So here we are, we've been called to strive together as a body of Christ for the faith of the gospel, to see the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth. And if we're not sanctified, and if we're not unified, my friend, we can't be striving like we should. If we're living worldly lives and carnal lives, we we have taken away the power and the impact of the gospel. If we are divided and we're fighting among ourselves, but yet we're still trying to spread the gospel, it's hypocrisy. It's vanity. It's nothing's going to happen. But when we are living lives of holiness when we are unified for the gospel and now we are striving together for that gospel, focused on what God has called us to do, things are going to happen for the glory of Jesus Christ. Souls are going to get saved. And I want to encourage you, though the days we're living in are dark and though they're difficult and though they're hard and we're facing things we've never faced before, we have a commander-in-chief. He has given us His great commission And that great commission is take this gospel into all the world and proclaim it. Proclaim it here locally to all who live here locally. 
to our neighbors, to those that go to various and uh, sundry types of different churches. Let us take them the gospel. Let us invite neighbors into our home for the express purpose of sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And have you ever thought about that as a ministry? No, I don't really like to be with this person, and it's, I don't know that we have a lot to talk about, but you know what? I know he's not saved, and I know he needs Christ. And so, honey, uh, let, let's get out the chicken, and let's do the chicken and dumpling dinner, or let's do the fried chicken dinner, or whatever it's going to be, or we'll just buy a pizza, and we'll bring it over, and we'll have pizza. But let's just invite him over for the express purpose, just to kind of build a friendship with him, so that we might have opportunity to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're striving to to proclaim that message of the gospel. Striving for our missionaries to send missionaries to take that message. First, to surrender ourselves. God, is it your will that I leave, Sheraton, to go into the various parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I was sharing with you, I was in Tajikistan, and... I was at a, having lunch with a pastor and a deacon from the church that was there in the capital city of Dushanbe. And we were talking, and this deacon was showing me this area of Tajikistan north up in the mountains. And he said, look, we, we have about 500,000 people who live right in this area right here. He said, there's not one gospel-preaching church. He said, now listen, I, I know Ukraine you have sent some missionaries, and at, and at that time, I think we had eight, not from SBI, but we'd had eight female missionaries from Ukraine that had gone to, do, to, uh, to Tajikistan. And listen, in a Muslim culture, a woman missionary, she's very limited in her ministry because in those cultures, women are, are very limited, and he said, listen, we appreciate this, these women that have come and, and we are so uh, just overwhelmed at how God has been able to use them. He said, but then he said this, but can you send me some men? He says, we want to start a church up here and we need a man to come and start the church. Would you tell them in Ukraine, can you send us some men to come? You see, folks, we, we have this world that is yet to hear. I think I maybe even shared this with you last time. You know, Coca-Cola is 125 years old. Everywhere in the world, I think it's like 95% or something of the world's population recognizes the Coca-Cola logo. In 120 years or 25 years, whatever it's been, that quickly Coke has spread. Everywhere I've gone in Southeast Asia or or everywhere I've gone in Ukraine, I can find Coca-Cola if I want to drink it. But you know what I can't find? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, why do we have somewhere today around almost 8 billion people in the world and probably at best maybe half have heard the gospel, but I don't even think it's half have heard the gospel. Why do we have countries in Southeast Asia where, where there are just great numbers of groups of people, ethnic groups of people, that have yet to hear the gospel? This one uh, place where I'm working in Southeast Asia, the pastor came and he, sh- he shared with me this young lady and he said, well, this young lady comes from a village in the northern part of our country. She said, in her village, there's not any believers. They've never heard the gospel. 
I had another young man who attends our Bible Institute there, and, and he shared with me, he said, Pastor, uh, we've got an opportunity to go up into these mountains, into this village, and, and there are no churches there. And me and another student, we're, we're going to be traveling up there, and we're going to be taking up there to these villages the gospel. Folks, this is the heart of Jesus Christ. His commandment was to preach it to every creature. His commandment was to preach it to every nation. And if you look at the word nation there in Matthew 28, it's not nation as far as geographic nation, but it's every people group. Some have estimated like 16,400 people groups in the world. And so many of them have yet to hear this good news that their Creator has made a way for them to have peace with Him through the giving of His Son who died for their sins. Yes, there is a God who loves you. Yes, there is a way to have that emptiness within filled with the contentment and peace of Jesus Christ. But the church has to continue to strive together to get this message out to the world. Don't lose your focus. God has called you for such a time as this. The King is returning. He's coming back for the harvest that is His, that He died for, that He has paid for with His own blood. He's coming back for that harvest. We are the laborers. laborers. We are to be busy about this work. Busy. Don't lose your focus. Proclaim the message. If you're not called to go, that means you've been called by God to stay and labor here that others can go and labor here to spread the gospel here locally. Pray for God to open doors of utterance. Now you say, well, pastor, you don't understand. We, we're here in Iowa. I'm out here on a farm. My nearest neighbor is, you know, about a half mile or a mile down the road. I just don't have that many opportunities. You know what? There's enough people here in, in southern Iowa for you. God can bring somebody to you or bring you to somebody to share the gospel. Pray for open doors. God, provide for me today an opportunity to share of your love with someone. Bring someone into my life, God, that you may use me to share this message of Christ. Use me to influence someone for the glory of the gospel. It's a message that we have to proclaim. But let me share striving together in the gospel. And I'm cutting down my message here because I want to get to this last thought of striving together. It's not just the proclamation of it by us proclaiming it with our lips. But it's also when we are so burdened for it that we begin to cry out to God for power and grace and mercy to complete the mission that he's given us. Can I say that the one area in in our church in America I think that is hurting the most is the lack of prayer. And and listen, I'm an American and and I'm almost an Iowan, all right? I'm just a few miles south of you here down in Kansas City. Now, maybe you want nothing to do with Missourians. I don't know what your opinion is about Missourians. I know we have a little more in Kansas City area. We have more problems with the Kansans than we do with almost anybody down there. But I married a Kansan just to pursue peace with all men. So I married my Kansas wife. And what a gift she's been. But the greatest hindrance in our churches today is prayer. Because we have been given so much. We've taken so much for granted. We've had so many freedoms. 
We don't have to depend upon God. We can do it by our own grit and determination and by our own means that we already have. I was sharing with Pastor last night. I, I got a uh, letter from a note from one of the men in the country in Southeast Asia, and he wrote me last Friday. They had a prayer meeting. He says, yeah, we, we gathered to pray. And he said, we, we continued in prayer somewhere between 1 and 2 in the morning. We were praying together. I think he's had other times when he's written me that they have prayed and even prayed almost through the night in these prayer meetings, just crying out for God. They'd sleep some on Saturday, get caught up, and then Sunday they're ready to go for church. But they're praying. Why? Because they're under tremendous persecution. Because they don't know how they're going to complete this mission that Christ has given them to do when they're living in such a place as where they live. They don't have the means. They don't have the buildings. They don't have the money. So, God, we got to have you. And they're crying out for God. What would happen if we truly began to cry out for God? I was in a prayer meeting there in this country, and they were going around the room taking prayer requests. And as they went around the room, they, they were translating for me each prayer request. And it was amazing as I sat there, I was convicted. Because nobody asked for any kind of a personal prayer request for their health or for Aunt Gertrude's gallbladder that was being taken out or for whatever. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for physical needs. It's okay to pray for physical needs, and we should bring our physical needs to God. But there wasn't one request for that or for even a a fiscal need, a financial need. Every request had to do for boldness and power and wisdom. In witnessing. Now try to imagine if you're if you're there in this country and it's illegal for you to share your faith with a Buddhist person and you're in your workplace. This one woman said, pray for me. There's a worker that I'm working with and I'm praying for an opportunity, wisdom to share with them the gospel. If they share that gospel with that Buddhist and that Buddhist turns them into the authorities, guess what happens to them? They'll go to jail. So you'd be thinking twice, wouldn't you, before you'd witness just to anybody. You'd be praying, God, I need your help. God, I'm going to need your grace. They went around the room. They came all the way to this last young man, maybe 16, 17 years old. And he said, well, most of you know I'm just, I'm a newer believer. But the village where I live, the authorities have come to my parents and they've warned my parents that I need to recant of my Christian faith. And if I don't recant, that there's going to be repercussions for that. So would you pray for me, number one, that I'd have wisdom in dealing with my parents and authorities, but number two, pray for me that I'll have boldness, that I'll stand for Christ no matter the cost, that I'll stand for Him. And they're crying out to God, God, we got to have You. If I don't have Your boldness, I'm going to fail. If I don't have your power when I witness God, no one's going to get saved. God, we we must have you. Folks, what would happen if we as a church were striving together, yes, to proclaim it, but also in prayer, striving that this gospel can spread throughout the world for the glory of his name. Praying for our missionaries individually that God has called and sent and we as a church have supported for God's blessing and hand of providence upon them with power that the gospel go forth. Praying that God would call forth laborers to go into a harvest that is rich, that is ready, that is white unto harvest. 
What would happen if the church of Jesus Christ strove together in prayer? You know, the greatest meeting of a church should be the prayer meeting. That will show you the spirituality of your church. Okay, Sunday morning we're here. Praise God, and I'm glad that you're here. Sunday night we'll have a meeting. Praise God, I'll be glad that you're here. Hear the Word of God. But Wednesday night I believe you have a prayer meeting. Is that correct? Do you have a prayer meeting? I realize some of us work. Maybe you can't make it on that Wednesday night, but I tell you what, if it's at all possible, you should be here to cry out to God. God, we want to be salt. We want to be light. God, I want to grow in my holiness. I want to grow in my sanctification. God, I'm not content being where I am right now in my personal walk with you. There are other things that need to be changed in my life, oh God, and I'm praying for you to change me. God, protect our church. Lord, keep us as one as a church. Unify us. Protect us from Satan and those fiery darts of division that he wants to fire. Lord, protect us from our flesh. Unify your church, God, for the glory of your praise. And God, we need you to use us to reach this world with the gospel. There are still souls that have not heard your word, that have not heard the the truth of the gospel. Use us to proclaim that, God. We must have you what would happen if churches prayed that way folks there's still so much god wants to do through us he has called you for such a time as this listen i would have loved to been alive during the days of spurgeon and moody the great revivals i mean i read about them and i'm so envious of those guys i look forward to speaking to them one day what was that all like but you know he's called us to a very special time in history We are preparing for the coming of a king. And we still have work to do before he comes. And let each of us individually strive together for the faith of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for the wonder of your word. Lord, thank you for this church and for their faithfulness to Julie and I. And for all the different places that they have already had an impact in through the ministry that you've allowed us to partake in with them. I thank you for them. But God, encourage us this morning. Help us to focus on these three things in our lives for the glory of your name. You are coming, Lord Jesus. You are coming soon. Let us be a people that are found faithful, busy about your work for the glory of your name. Thank you for calling us for a time such as this. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be salt and light in this perverse and dark world. And we ask it for the glory of your name and your praise. Amen.